What's up and welcome back to anybody and everybody. I'm your host Herm and happy New Year's Eve everybody. It's Thursday. This is your bonus episode of the week. I have so many episodes in the bank that I feel like these need to start coming out twice a week and it gives me the opportunity to talk to you guys more, have a really great time with it and I am really stoked to get this one out because well, I got to have an amazing conversation with this dude, Nick, and I think that everyone needs to hear it because it's another one of those great episodes that we talk about the growth of lacrosse, especially with culture, man. I mean, it's it's one of those big debates. Jordan uh, Jordan had a good tweet a couple of days back, maybe even a week ago at this point, that was just saying that we need to introduce people of color, people uh, with that bring different diversity into the sport of lacrosse. And I couldn't agree more. And Nick is nothing but that. He really introduces the game to some amazing people who are just getting started at the high school level. So it's a fantastic conversation. You're going to want to stick for or stick through it. What am I even saying tonight, guys? You're going to want to stick with it the whole time. It is a really great episode. And before we get into this one, I want to make sure that you guys are hooked up when you get out to the golf course. That's right. You have to go check out second9golf.com and use code HERM15 for all of your golf merchandise apparel and looking really good on the course. Second Nine is a company that was started by two brothers down in Augusta, Georgia. They are absolute beauties and they have a awesome, awesome collection of clothes for you guys. I'm actually wearing my Second Nine golf shirt right now. It's honestly, and this is this is totally, I guess it is kind of biased, but one of the most comfortable shirts I own. I have a handful of them now, so I've been wearing them these last few days, and I absolutely love them. So make sure you go check out secondninegolf.com. That's second, S-E-C-O-N-D, nine is in the number, golf.com, and use co- code HERM15 at checkout for 15% off your order. And uh, I guess that's all I got for you guys before this episode. So Stay tuned, enjoy, and have a great, great, great New Year's, everybody. All righty, Nick, how's it going, man? Welcome to the show. Is is this your first ever podcast? I must ask yeah. that. Yeah, that's wow. my first podcast. I am honored to have you on the show. So you reached out to me a few months back. Uh, I took a little hiatus with the show and forgot to circle back around, but I'm glad you reached back out because you have one hell of a story. Uh, you have like just so much going on at all times, it seems like. Tell tell the listeners kind of just your background, things about you that they should know before we get going here with some questions and uh, just the Nick story. All right. Well, uh, I'm Nick Garcia. I grew up in Stockton, California. Um, moved around a lot just in the California area at 18. I started coaching and since then I've been coaching pretty much off and on for about five years, but involved in the sport, I've been 16 years for lacrosse. Um, currently in the United States Navy, and I've been stationed here in good old Norfolk, Virginia for seven years. Yeah, we were just chatting about Norfolk before we got on because of course I was in school in Virginia, but all right, so let's take it back then. I'm actually really curious about this. So you said you started playing lacrosse 16 years ago that brings us back to 2004 and you were still in california at the time right yep so I th- this is so funny to me because uh do you, are you familiar with colin and samir and uh the work that they do oh uh, with uh yeah i'm, I'm a lacrosse I'm a network. Network. yeah so so samir uh brought 
lacrosse to a school in California, probably closer to 2012, which he made seem like it was the first ever lacrosse program in lacrosse or lacrosse program in California, not to call him out or anything, but um, so you had been playing in 2004, which is rad. And was, was it widespread? What was the scene like? I mean, I can only uh, imagine. So, it was... so up North where I'm from, it's uh, it was really small. So when we played in a club league, so the club league, we didn't have – we had to – so say Stockton was in the center. We had to travel either to Sacramento, the Bay Area, or far up in the mountain to go play games. So it was very spread out. It wasn't like if we were like how it is now where you go to a high school. And most high schools nowadays have a lacrosse team. Back then, no high schools had it. No high schools wanted it. No one, no one even thought about it. But now it's starting to grow a little bit more. And I think when I left in 2000 – well, 2014, all the high schools in my area pretty much had this program. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, I mean, that's rad in itself, the fact that you were able to be part of this niche group, which I think is one of my favorite things about lacrosse, right? We're, we're still a niche group, even though it's growing each and every day. But one of the things that I absolutely love that you mentioned when we first started talking a few months back is that you hate the stigma that lacrosse has as a rich person sport because you, you embodied it. You said you're from the hood uh, in your message. Um, so like, I mean, this is, this is exactly what we're looking for, right? I mean, uh, we're trying to get rid of this idea of culture. Culture kind yeah. of tears down things if you affiliate it with rich people things. Um, so what was that like? Did you ever face any stigma um, playing lacrosse and being from Stockton? I mean, so... I don't know if you know where Stockton is, but Stockton is, we call it the armpit of California. I hate to mm-hmm. say it. It's New Jersey. It's, yeah, I, I guess you can say that. <laughs> it's it's the central part of California. So we live in the Central Valley, and where we're from, it's, um, well, let's just say for a several for a solid several years, we were the most uh, highest crime rate in California, almost highest crime rate in the United States. So bringing lacrosse into there, it was very weird because, you know, you have a lot of different ethnicities, different groups. A lot of people like to say that lacrosse is just mainly white. Well, look at me. I'm Mexican and Filipino. Most of my teammates were different ethnicities. So it was really nice to bring lacrosse into our area and then spread it how we did because there was just a lot more inclusiveness with, with what was going on. And a lot of the guys that played lacrosse, they just fell in love. We were all baseball players. Right. And then we, we just left. And we started from lacrosse, but um, yeah, man, I think uh, I never really faced any, I guess, judgment for playing lacrosse. When I got a lot older and I started telling people that I coached lacrosse, they're like, oh, that's a rich person sport. And I'm just like, well, man, you, if you really put yourself out there, there's a lot of grants out there. There's a lot of stuff that can help you out with the sport, especially right. with U.S. lacrosse. U.S. lacrosse is amazing. And in, especially for brand new up and coming teams. They will give you money just to start a team, which I think is awesome. Right. I think I think we need more of that in this community, more giving, more sharing the game with other people. But actually, I'm going to step away from lacrosse for a sec because I'm more curious about this at this point. Okay, so oftentimes – I'm from New Jersey. I really haven't been to the West Coast all but a few times. You hear about Compton being like the place where like everything goes down or whatever. Stockton was worse. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, um, like nothing compared to Stockton. Well, Compton, you got to think about it. It's just a small little city in the L.A. area. Mm-hmm. We're a pretty decent-sized community in, in California, up in the northern part of Stockton. Stockton is comprised of, like, about, I guess, four or five other cities. 
mm-hmm. and they're right on top of each other. It's just like the Hampton Roads. Hampton okay, Roads, yeah. if you've ever been there, you you throw a rock and you're in the other city right next to each other. Right. So it's the same thing. And when you talk about the Stockton area, you're not really talking about those cities. You're talking about that whole general area. So, yeah, Compton, I mean, I guess everything's getting a lot better, which is nice to see. That's what I'm but, hearing. Oh, yeah. Um, but I'm sure Compton was pretty bad back in the day. But I remember growing up, and there was a lot of places where you weren't allowed to go. And if you were walking down the street, you just kept your head down. You didn't make eye contact, and you just minded your business. Well, what was that like, man? I mean, so you grew up in Stockton. Were you, were your, was it your parents' choice? Like, how, how were you raised? If you don't oh, yeah. Um, so my parents, uh, they all grew up in Stockton. My dad grew up in Stockton. My mom grew up in Stockton. Um, and uh, funny thing is my parents were both in law enforcement. My mom, my is that mom right? Was a, yeah, my mom was a lawyer. My dad was a cop. So I knew a lot. I knew a lot of things at a young age to what they taught me on how to conduct myself outside. And after a while, we left Stockton and then we moved to Lodi. Lodi mm-hmm. is just about know, 10 miles away from Stockton. But we did everything in Stockton. Like my, my lacrosse team was in Stockton. Mm-hmm. My school was in Stockton. My dentist, my everything. So um, I just think it was a little different from a lot of people's upbringing in that area but there's a lot of good things that come out of that place too oh yeah i'm sure one of the things i was actually reading a really interesting article the other day about how it was, it was compton that they were talking about how the people of compton although it was at one point really crime-ridden and faced a lot of uh heartbreak and stuff it's it's something that you took passion in right and i'm sure you feel the same way about stockton it's your home it's where you laid your roots oh, and yeah because these new kind of techie companies are pushing a lot of people out of these areas because it's somewhere where you can find some extra property and do something and it's close enough to Silicon Valley that people will live there, that it's, it's almost heartbreaking to see the culture leaving these areas. And would you say that you kind of feel similar about Stockton kind of in the way that, I mean, it's not as close to Silicon Valley. Am I right? Oh no, we're pretty close to Silicon Valley. Pretty pretty close to Silicon Valley that, if people started pushing out, the culture would almost be lost. And although sometimes it gets a negative connotation to it, it's truly what brings people together and it's where people laid their roots. Yeah. So what ha- what's happening right now with the Northern part of California is so Silicon Valley, everyone in Silicon Valley moved to the Bay area, San Francisco, um, San Jose, Oakland, all those areas. They moved to that area, they up and they gentrified the area which then brought up prices and housing. So all those people that originally were from those areas are now moving farther north. So farther north, they're moving to Stockton. So Stockton is pretty much um, getting the back end of gentrification right now. I'm sure, mm-hmm. I'm sure within the next few years, a lot of people are going to be moving so far out where there will be more tech companies in Stockton. But right now, it's a blue-collar area. Mm-hmm. Is is that something that has been is it always been blue collar there? A lot of people, oh, yeah. very mechanics, people working with their hands and things so, along those lines. Stockton's claim to fame was uh, back in I want to say the '60s. They had um, the Navy there. The Navy uh-huh. had a had a shipyard there, and when the Navy left, pretty much everything went downhill. All the jobs left. And if you if you look at history. Anytime that there's a military facility somewhere or a government facility and they're there for such a long time, then leave, the economy just takes a drastic downturn. 
Right. So that's what unfortunately happened with Stockton. I like seeing what's happening now that there's more people moving into the area, bringing more jobs, bringing more things to do. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, it's, I actually, well, one, I was a political science major, so I studied this a little bit, actually. It's really interesting the way that we have used naval bases and different facilities to really make the economy flow in various ways and shapes and forms. And when they do pull out of those areas like Stockton, you do see a dramatic change. Now, was there influence from that? Was the Navy Yard still around when you were born? And did that play any influence into your life? No, uh, honestly, I didn't think I was ever going to join the military. Is that right? Yeah, my dad was in the Marine Corps. Um, I was trying to go to college. I went to two community colleges and really didn't do anything. I I was more of the uh, party type back then. I just, college was a party time for me. Wasn't really, wasn't very focused on it. I definitely understand that. I, I faced the same, same problems my first year of college. I mean, I talk about it a lot, how I, uh, I go to college. I leave my first semester with a 1.8 GPA and almost getting kicked off my team and just really just horrible. And then I just kind of had to turn my life, to turn, turn it all around, figure it out. And it's, it's a life lesson we all have to learn at some point. But so, so you're in school and you're getting educated in Stockton growing up. Were you kind of, were you, more of a scholarly student then, or was it still kind of not the first thing you're School wasn't really for me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I got a job really young. I was flipping burgers, washing dishes, and, you know, I was more focused on making money. I mean, I got my grades enough to graduate, but really I wasn't very a good school. It wasn't very good in school. Right. That's, I, I feel like it's it's there's two types of people there's the ones who are good at school and there's the people that aren't there's it's really hard to be in between but so you're flipping burgers out in california and are, is this ever interfering with what you're trying to do extracurricularly with lacrosse and trying to just kind of move like forward uh i mean there were times where i had like four jobs like right when i turned 18 i, did, I went to uh, community college for a little bit and then i just started getting job after job after job i mean I had every job that you can think of. I worked in warehouses. I worked in the field. I worked in a kitchen. I did construction. And all at that same time, um, right when I turned 18, my old coach from Stockton, he invited me to coach the junior varsity league for Lincoln High School. So at that time, I was like, this is a great opportunity. I can't pass it up. So I I always had to juggle around. I'd leave from one job to the next job, and my last job would go to the school. We'd practice from like, I don't know, six to eight, nine mm-hmm. get home. So, Jeez, man. You're, so you're filling up the timesheet. You just, oh, yeah. it was a lot of, uh, lot of work. You were grinding right through it. And I and, think that was kind of the downfall of uh, college as well. I was more focused on making money than I was studying. Yeah, you, you were money driven more than just kind of furthering the education. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. That, that makes sense. I, I, I understand that one a lot. My senior year, halfway through, I, get I score this job with signature lacrosse and I'm just like well what's the use in going back to school if I'm here I, so and then we all move online so I figure it out you know yeah I get graduate you. graduate somehow but uh so that happens and so you then start coaching and you have kind of been riding this coaching train now for a bit of a time and you're loving it dude I love coaching it's uh one of my most favorite things to do other than cooking but Right now, coaching is kind of on a hiatus mm-hmm. because of all COVID. 
and but uh it was one of my favorite things to do I, what do you what do you say you're you'd like being a player or a coach more i like being a coach more is I mean, that I love right to, i love to play the game but after a certain point you just gotta be like yeah i don't think i could be on the field anymore yeah no i understand that feeling pretty heavily especially with lacrosse i hate getting hit anymore it's like oh, yeah. stop stop hitting me with your pole like i'm not doing anything special i'll probably pass well, i'm the a ball. goalie i'm a oh, goalie i don't geez. i don't i don't want i don't like to get in the cage anymore i'm good I yeah, had my time no. there. The other day I was over at Two Wolves performance and we did a shooting competition. We're all just like ripping on this goalie. I was like, this kid, this poor kid just took one off the leg that bounced the other side of the turf. Like that just well, seems as awful. a kid as a kid and a goal and you're a, you enjoy being a goalie, you get those hits and you got those huge bruises on there. Yeah. Those are your war marks right there. You like to show that off and show how tough you are. Now that just makes me hurt and I don't want to feel hurt anymore. Yeah, no, definitely. So you move from California to the East coast. What really inspired that? The Navy. The Navy, <laughs> it was all Navy. Yeah. The Navy uh, said, well, you guess you're going to get orders to Norfolk, Virginia. And I did my first uh, five years here and I'm doing another three here and then we'll see wherever they take me. So you did say though, that you weren't ever planning on getting in the military. What, and what pushed you to make that leap? Uh, at the time, I had all those jobs, and it really wasn't amounting to anything. You know, mm -hmm. I had some money in my pocket. I had some stuff going on for me. But in reality, I kept moving back and forth between my my own place and my parents' place. And to a, at, like, 21, I was just like, you know what? I can't keep doing this. So walked into a recruiter station and uh, was gone within the six months. Is that right? It was a quick turnaround. It felt like it took forever. But in reality, it was very, very fast. So you went right into the Navy? Yep. Wow, that's quite how, – how long was, like, basic training, all of the things that kind of go into it? Uh, so basic is about three months. Um, I won't go too much detail on it. I don't like to talk about a lot of Navy stuff. Oh, yeah, but, no worries. But, uh, yeah, three months, and then I did a two-week stint at another eight, another school, and then I was on my first ship. Wow. That's insane, man. Well, thank you for your service. Of course, I can't believe I haven't said that yet. No, appreciate but, it. But it's it's really something that you hear it often. Um, people join the Navy or join the Army or join any of the above or any military uh, uh, branch, and they don't kind of understand what they're getting themselves into. Were you kind of unaware, and now you're just looking to uh, now oh, you've yeah. grown into it. Oh, yeah, dude. I thought I was going to go in and it was going to be like gung-ho at all times, you know, 100% full throttle. It's just a job. Yeah. <laughs> it's a job. It's just it's a job like anybody else. And, you know, that's what I like about it. You think that you're getting into something that's so crazy that you can only do it for so long. But, dude, I could do this for forever. I love it. Is that right? Well, that's that's actually really refreshing to hear because I, I when you started that sentence, I thought you were going the other direction where it was harder than you anticipated oh no no it's i mean there's times it's just like any job right right, your, right of you're course gonna, you're gonna have your days where you're just like man this really is this is pretty cruddy and then you have other days where you're just like this is amazing can't believe i got to do this can't believe i got to see this it's pretty awesome now is it ever difficult to like get off of base to coach or anything like that or it works really well into your schedule so right now it works perfect in my schedule but if I was, because right now I'm stationed on shore, so mm -hmm. I do all my job here on, on shore, obviously. Um, but coming next year, I won't be able to coach again due to mm -hmm. the fact that I'll be on a ship. And being on a ship, 
I'm always gone. I'm always out to sea. Doesn't really help out that much. Right. Yeah. You can't, you can't coach, <laughs> can't yeah. coach from there, but no, this is more of a funny question. This is something I was just thinking about. Are you ever worried about the base there in Norfolk becoming flooded and you're going to have to move inland? Oh yeah. All the time. I live, uh, <laughs> like I told you, I live in Portsmouth. So yeah. I live in zone a. Oh zone yeah. A you're in zone. that area. And actually pretty funny that you mentioned that about two weeks ago, we had some pretty heavy rain come down. Right. And I don't know if you know what a sump pump is. Yeah. Well, oh yeah. Okay. So my sump pump uh, died. Oh man. <laughs> so I wait, I get a call and I, I get told our uh, basement's flooding. And I go, oh, we'll be fine. So I went to Walmart, picked up like a bucket and a sponge. I thought it was just like a little bit of flooding. No, it was about a foot of flooding and it kept yeah. coming up. And I was just like, well, this is bad. So I called a plumber. Plumber comes out and they're like, oh, well, we can't do anything. Your, your space is flooded. I go, I told you that. Yeah. Like, oh, well, uh, there was supposed to be somebody that came out here and did this. No one ever came out. So till 2 a.m. in the morning, I was deflooding my space. Oh, I had to man. learn how to, had to, learn how to uh, put in the sump pump. So were you using I, like one of those manual sump pumps that like you can buy at the store? Oh, no. Or? no, buckets, oh. buckets and buckets and swabs, buckets and. Uh, oh man. Yeah, it was fun. It was a good time. Yeah, yeah, I love doing. It. Actually, the same similar thing happened to me last year. We our house is, was built in like the 17. 17- 1800s or something and so we don't have any sump pump like if it rains far enough and we get flooded we're flooded so i'm down there with a bucket bigger bucket kind of do two man take it up the yeah. stairs dump it out deal it, it is something else but it's funny because i was research well, not researching i took a um geology class in college and one of our projects was researching what will happen in norfolk when like the sea levels rise like one it's more pretty inch. crazy if you if you really look into it we're just eroding away faster we're the second most erosion in this area i think the first is like florida yeah i think it's florida then norfolk and then there's somewhere up in chess bay yeah exactly it's nuts yeah. it's crazy um but with with being in norfolk and coaching have you seen any kind of cultural changes between california and the kids in virginia like in lacrosse uh, you know, the time between me coaching California and me coaching here was pretty big. It was about a five-year difference. Mm-hmm. But um, honestly, no, the kids are all the same. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're just high, eager. High schoolers are all the same wherever you go. They're gonna be, they're gonna be really eager, and most of the time, they're gonna be really funny to watch. Oh yeah, that, I think that's my favorite thing. Do you have any good stories of kids who like had never played before, but just first time on the field trying to figure it out? Oh yeah, well this first team, this coach, this team that I coach here in uh, Virginia Beach, man, no one's ever played before. It's pretty awesome to watch them grow, but just uh, line drills, mm-hmm. line drills were the best thing in the world to watch. It was just, <laughs> it was just hilarious. At, at a certain point, I was just like, all right, stop, just stop. You know, just stand still, stand still, and throw to each other. But yeah, man, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in coaching, which I enjoy. Yeah. You get to see the progression. You see from zero to a very novice player that's very good. Right. That That is honestly probably the most rewarding thing that comes with being a coach, especially at the high school level because, well, I can relate this to Coach Eric Finley, who I had on the podcast a few months ago, and I went down to see his school down in uh, North Carolina in Cape Fear. And very similar situation. Most of those kids had never picked up a stick before. A lot of them had sticks that were donated to them from different companies and such and so they it was 
but just watching them grow over that one year time period and getting their first win. I think it was there for their first win. It was huge. It was amazing. It was so much fun to be a part of that. And um, I can, I can only imagine, especially in a place where Virginia, there, there's some pretty big lacrosse schools and a lot of really good lacrosse talent. So to have the opportunity to coach with that and kind of push them in that direction as another opportunity in Virginia for lacrosse is huge. Um, Do you see like when you play in high school, is it, I forget how it works. Are all the schools of equal caliber or is it oftentimes that you guys are going up and playing schools that just ruin you? Uh, so our first year that, that the team was um, started, we were all brand new. None of my kids have played ever before in their lives. This was two years ago. Um, and when we started, we were a brand new team. So there was two, two or three new teams that came into the league that year. And we were the one of the brand new teams um, we got demolished every single game the first yeah. year. It was, you know, at a certain point, that was just not fun for the kids. But, you know, you got to be that coach where you're just like, don't worry, keep pushing, keep pushing as hard as you can. Next year will be different. Right. And you know what? The next year was crazy different. It was about a three, it was a whole turn for us. Um, like I said, the first year, lost every game. And it was blowout games. It wasn't like, you know, we had a chance. Nail-biters. And, <laughs> no, it was uh, about it was. I think we had one game where it was like eighteen to zero. That was that was the end. And I was just like, yeah. So, but our next year that we came in, which was this last year right before COVID started, our first game we won, and then That's we rode, and then we won our second game, and then COVID hit, yeah. and I was just like, man, we were we were steamrolling, man. It was yeah. it was great. Now was that because the guys got that much better, or was it new guys came in, or? We had a mix of both. You know, mm-hmm. I had a lot of guys that – almost all my guys that I coached the year before, they all came back. Okay. And then they brought at least one other person with them. That's awesome. I think I had one player that um, played before, but it was like, kind of like in a rec league. Mm-hmm. But all, all the kids just flourished over time. And everyone went to – because I kept telling them over, over their downtime, see if they can go to a camp, you know, wall ball, stuff like that. And they all did it. They all, went to, they all went to go do something, and they kept up with it. Lacrosse is one of those sports, though, where it's addicting. And, like, once you get started, you're going to find yourself shooting, playing wall ball every day because you want to get better. And oh, yeah. even the best players in the world are still getting better each day. So it's like doing that is probably one of the coolest things. Do you, do you have the guys watch, like, um, professional lacrosse a lot, too, if, you, if they can get their hands on it? So I always put it out in my group text. I'm like, hey, this is on right now. Watch this. Or this is coming up. Make sure you watch this. Or this person put this on YouTube. Watch that. Mm-hmm. So I'm always pushing, like, at least some type of video. I would love for my guys to one day be able to have game film to watch. Mm-hmm. But, you know, getting getting somebody out here to video record us, it can get pretty pricey at times. Oh, yeah. It's, it's not a cheap task. Oh, yeah. It, because I mean, well, it's just time and money, and everybody knows time is money. So people aren't always willing to do something along those lines. But so that, that's so awesome, man. I think that it's stories like that that make me the most encouraged for the future of lacrosse. Because as we talked about before, it does have such a negative connotation oftentimes. And I mean, I kind of am I'm part of the issue. I went to a boarding school, like I did that thing. But at the oh, yeah. same time, I also. I grew up in this town called Vineland, New Jersey. It's literally, it's not the hood, but it's not, it's not 
white suburbia either. So it's like, I didn't know what lacrosse was for most of my life until I went up to Canada and found box lacrosse. So I I get it. I've been on both sides of of the spectrum. And I think that it does need to be made as affordable as possible. I think that lacrosse, and this is something I propose a lot, teach kids until they're like 10 or 11 without any pads. Just give them a stick. Just let them play and play small side lacrosse and learn, learn the fundamentals and have fun with it. Cause that's how the sport's going to grow. It's, it's kids getting pushed into these huge programs at the age of like eight, and nine, and you know, oh, yeah. parents paying thousands of dollars for them to do that. Well, every program now, every program nowadays, it just seems like the price keeps getting higher and higher. And it's, that's just for registration. That's right. not all the gear that you have to buy. Right. So I think if we can, if the sport could get into high school, not high school, um, middle school PE, Mm-hmm. That'd be perfect if they can just get some sticks and some balls and, you know, maybe have some of the coaches from the area come in and teach the uh, educator what to do or run like a little clinic out there. It'd be right. perfect. If we can get the kids in at a really young age, I think we could flourish a lot more. And it I is happening. So. It is oh, happening. Yeah. It's mean, all about I, the grassroots. I mean. Yeah. So when I came here, I'm from California. When I came, when I was in California, all I heard was East Coast lacrosse, East Coast lacrosse, East Coast, East Coast, East Coast. I came here, and it's nothing like I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. It, it, we're we're pretty much at the same level as guys in California. Oh yeah, I think I think that's the weird thing though about it. Well, not weird. I, it's interesting that it it has this East Coast connotation because I've met plenty of guys who are from California, Utah, Arizona who are sick at lacrosse and have so much fun with it. They just weren't granted those opportunities because East Coast lacrosse culture and the Maryland, you know, hotbed, whatever you want to call it, that it is. Um, And I think that that's something that also needs to be demolished. Why, why territorialize a sport? You know, Uh, it's, it's like anything else in life. Why define something that doesn't need a definition or give it an extra definition? Lacrosse is a beautiful game that, is the medicine game it's not it's not it's not what people are conceive it or can understand it as right now so i mean let's let's get rid of that what would be your first thing though to like getting rid of that connotation i mean more inclusion stop talking about east and west you know yeah everybody wants to do that i do it sometimes i'm i'm guilty of it but you know if we could um you know if the big dogs up top could do like some type of like huge tournament in the center center of the United States where we all come together and play together, that might be something pretty cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think, I think the PLL did do a good job about that. Trying to get some places that have never seen lacrosse seen and give them opportunities. Because I mean, if you just keep going back to Maryland, Boston, New York, Canada, uh, you know, the, the usual places, it's not going to grow beyond that area. And that that's kind of an issue. But I think one of the cool things for me, and this is something that we're working on with signature lacrosse is like, we're starting to see sticks and balls and stringing kits and stuff like that pop up at like Walmart. Right. I mean, that that's amazing to me. I think that if you would have told me 10 years ago that there'd be lacrosse stuff in Walmart, I'd call you crazy. So the fact of the matter is I think that's a huge step in the right direction. I remember growing up in, in Vineland when I did find out about lacrosse, we had one place in the in the town that sold lacrosse stuff and it was a hardware store and it was because the guy who owned the hardware store's son played lacrosse so they had two sticks it was an stx stallion and an stx something complete stick 
and you you got you chose one or the other you, you there was oh, yeah. no there was nothing else so i mean it's beautiful to see like that growth and oh, yeah. the it was, it opportunities was, it was the same for us in california if we wanted to go buy gear it was either online which was mm-hmm. still at the fresh you know buying online was still kind of like weird right and then you either had to drive all the way to sacramento which is about 45 minute drive to the one store that they had i think in all of california <laughs> and then and that was about it. You didn't have anything else to go to. Right. It was like, the, I remember the first time I, I had played hockey most of my life, but the first time I saw a lacrosse helmet, I'm like, what the hell is this thing? Is it like a football helmet or a, like, oh, yeah. it looked so abnormal to me, but I think that, I think that's awesome. I think that the opportunity to buy equipment and at a very reasonable price, I might add, I think that a lot oh, yeah. of companies are doing a good job with lowering the initial stick cost for getting into the sport, which is crucial. Well, you know who's a great company right now to buy cross gear from is Play It Again. Play right. It Again Sports has so much gear. I, yeah. I don't know where they get it from, but man, out here, dude, they have like whole sections, just whole rows of cross sticks, gear. I think that's amazing. It's actually funny that you bring it up. I know exactly which Play It Again you're talking about, and you're very correct. That one and the Richmond one both have great amount of lacrosse stuff. And it's so true. I mean, why let something that you've barely used go to go to waste? Give it to someone else. Pass it on. Pass, pass the legacy of that stick to the next kid. But that, that, that's one of my favorite things about it because I think that it is a sport that can bring a lot of people together, especially once the stigma's pushed away especially when you're all just getting into it and it's brand new to everyone and mm-hmm. everybody has that opportunity for growth. Do you, do you have any assistant coaches? No, I'm all by myself right now. <laughs> oh man, that is yeah. tough. Yeah, no, uh, it was nice when I coached for the other teams back in California cause I had two assistant coaches. That's right. perfect here. I'm by myself and I'm just like, all right, these guys have to go do this. These guys have to do this. And I have to make sure I watch them at all times. Cause if I don't watch them, they're going to be doing something real funny and it might be, might be worth to watch, but they still need to learn. Right. Yeah. No, funny to watch, but you still got to figure out the coaching moment there, but that, that's gotta be tough. How many guys do you have? Uh, this year I had 15. That's a really good turnout though. I mean, yeah. you, you hear about lacrosse programs trying to start up, start up, start up, but they barely get 11 guys and it's oh, like, yeah. well, have fun running. Cause you're going to be out there for. Oh yeah. The whole, there was, there was a solid – well, when we first started two years ago, we ran Ironman, I think, two games, mm-hmm. two, two or three games, and the kids didn't know what that was. I go, you're, gonna, you're, you're about <laughs> you're to find out. Know. You're about to find out real quick. And after that, they're just like, all right, now I know why you ran us all the time. And I was like, yeah, yeah. You, stuff like this happens all the time. Yep, and if uh, my men's league team doesn't show up with at least 20 guys, I'm not playing because that will be more than five minutes of running. Which is yeah, all I, I can handle these days. Yeah, see, that's why I'm a goalie, man. I only got. I know to do you that. really. I just got to do that quick sprint whenever I need to. I can catch <laughs> my breath and I'll be fine. Yeah, that, that's what that's where it's at. Now I see that you're wearing a beer geek shirt. Are you oh, a big yeah. big beer guy? Oh, huge. I, yeah. I love beer. Actually, this uh, shirt, I got it when we went up to Asheville, North Carolina, and beautiful area. Love it up there. My parents Plus, are gonna move there, so I'm lucky I you. Connect. I know. <laughs> the Speaking of Asheville, so much beer. So it much is, beer. So like, much beer. It's like the beer capital of the East Coast, I feel. But uh, this was from the Sierra Nevada tour, three-hour mm. tour of drinking beer. Yep. They, it was the Sierra Nevada one where they just put a pitcher in front of you? 
No, no, no. You went to all these different rooms and you just tried everything. You saw how it was all built or all made. It was beautiful. You're right. I'm thinking of the Dale's Pale Ale tour, I think. Okay, there you go. There, there, it was one of those days where the tours just kept going and the, the memories of the tours were... It just, it just all meshed. It just all it, meshed it, it together. It all meshed. It, let me tell you what, though. Asheville's perfect. I'm really into mountain biking. It, I love beer. And I can do both those things anytime I go and visit my parents when they're living there. So oh, yeah. I think that'll be an absolute hoot. But uh, that's sick, man. What's, what's your go-to order? If you were walking into a bar, what are you ordering? Lagunitas IPA. Lagunitas IPA. I can oh, get yeah. with that. Yeah. I mean, I'm from the West Coast. Lagunitas right? is the West Coast. That's and the original IPA. So that's one of my favorites right there. I must say I'm also an IPA guy. We have um, up here in Jersey, we have Cape May Brewery. And they do this IPA, the uh, Coastal Evacuation. It's a double. And I, uh, I'm i a big fan. I, yeah, after once it, once they say double and triple and IPAs, I'm just like, how far can you go? You oh, know? yeah. No, there's definitely a limit. But, you know, the hipsters can't stop at double. So you got to keep pushing it on. And well, That's uh, why they drink PBR. Yeah, they, they right. Took, they took PBR from us. Yeah, that's a West Coast thing, eh? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Well, yeah I know. I'm, I'm a avid beer drinker and uh i you i did brew beer for a while i still have a right? year to do it but you know i just haven't found the time i don't know why i know i've always said that one of my life endeavors once i'm like rich and famous or something is to open up a brewery of some sort and oh, uh yeah. whether it just be like a microbrewery or something in a small town that's what i would honestly love i i think that one of my favorite things about the podcast is i get to meet guys like you and just chat and that's what i would love if i opened up a brewery i would just sit there all day and just talk oh to people. yeah like that would be that would be my ideal job for the rest of my life if i could just give people beer drink beer and talk to people oh yeah I would, I, i've talked about that so you know whenever i retire i would love to open up my own place i don't know if i'd open up a brewery or just a tap room just mm-hmm. something where i can just talk to people and drink yeah that, that's all we're looking for right um I, I, I must say, though, with the with the winter months pushing forward here and it getting colder, I have turned into a bit of a, a bourbon guy now. Okay. I, I haven't I've taken a few nights off of beer, got, switching over to the basil Hayden. Grow, but, grow, uh, growing up, I see. That's good. I, I know. Yeah. Now that I have like a big boy paycheck and everything, I can buy whiskey and like actually enjoy it <laughs> rather than just pound cheap beer. Hey, whatever, man. To each his own. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's one of the funny, the beautiful things about it. But yeah, no, I uh, I definitely was raised to be like a beer snob. It's um probably one of my lesser habits. I'd roll in like college parties with like a six pack of Sierra Nevada. Oh man, you're fancy. I remember rolling in with Natty Ice. Oh, well, I still drink plenty of Natty Ice, but that was that was uh, after freshman year. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, it's it's been something else. Now you you we've talked about lacrosse. We've talked about your background. What what's the future looking like for you, man? It's you you said you're gonna be on the ship next year. Are you gonna try and keep lacrosse integrated once you get off the ship? Oh yeah, man. You know lacrosse will always be around for me. No matter where I go, I'll I'll seek it out. You know when I co- so I lived in when I lived in California, I moved to Martinez, which mm-hmm. is a different part of California, and. Uh, the way I got that coaching job was I was driving home from work. And I went and saw the high school. And these kids were playing lacrosse out there. So I was like, you know what? Shoot. Let me just go talk to them. I went to go talk to the coach out there. And I guess he knew who I was because I guess we played against each other. Is that right? And, uh, yeah. Small world. Yeah. And um, he was like, all right, show me what you can do. 
And that first night I was coaching a goalie out there. It was pretty awesome. So No way. Yeah, so no matter what, I always have I always am looking for a new team to either help out or just be the coach for. Just would, like with here. Just like with here. I always right. look for something to help me out or help right. them out. Would you prefer to be like strictly a goalie coach or always head coach? I I love to be no matter any type of coach. No, it doesn't matter. As as long as I'm on the field helping out, I'm fine with it. That's beautiful, man. I think that we need more guys like you who are willing to put in that time and effort to making other people better. Because I mean, I think a lot of, I, I can say I'm too, I'm too selfish to be a coach because I would like, I don't know. I would probably be a horrible coach if I'm being totally honest. I, I'm too, too self-centered. I don't put enough people front before me and I would like go out there and like roast kids. I don't know. It's just a personality <laughs> trait of my own. But that being said, Guys like you, I mean, you're going you're gonna to be what's pioneering the future of lacrosse and the, the kids that understand that it's more than just a rich white person sport. It's a way of life. It's a way of conducting oh, yourself. Yeah. And I love that. I really think that's admirable. So hats off to you. Appreciate it, man. I mean, at a certain time, you got to realize that, you know, you're not going to be on the field anymore. And if you love the thing so much, you might as well help out, especially with the future. Certainly. Yeah, the future is what's going to be like, guiding the way after uh you know through the whatevers I, you got some <laughs> wicked tats there man i love it oh thanks bro i um i'm not quite as covered up as you i just have like random shit all over my arms <laughs> hey we all gotta start somewhere <laughs> yeah 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 is that something that started at a young age yeah i think i got my first one like 17 <laughs> oh i beat you i was 16 close oh though. man there you I go. know i know I'm, i you've beaten me since though that's fantastic <laughs> Was it oh, yeah. was it part of your culture, like uh, the no. stuff? No, you're just rebellious. I mean, I would I would say yeah, a little bit rebellious. Obviously, when you get told you can't do something, you're gonna do it. Right. Yeah. But um, I think I was just kind of like you know I think this is cool. I want to try it out, and then I got hooked. Right, they're addicting. That's what they don't yeah. tell you when you when you sign up for your first tattoo that you're gonna want to keep going back and getting more. Oh, yeah. And like I said, I was working all those jobs, so I had money in my pocket. I was blowing through on tattoos. Right. Now, I don't think I've got a tattoo in like three years. Yeah? Like, are, you, are you itching? Oh, yeah. Definitely. All the time. But then I'm just, then I think back, I'm just like, well, man, I could buy something else with that. Or I can say, I can do something different with that. Right, but, right. And then when I spend that money, I'm just like, damn, I should have just bought it. I should have got a tattoo. I don't even know yeah. what I want, but you know what? <laughs> I should have just got a tattoo. I I did that. In, I my girlfriend and I were driving down the road the other day, and I saw the tattoo parlor I always go to, and she was like, "Oh, we should go get some tattoos." And like, it's instantly I'm just like, "Yeah, yeah, let's do it." So I I shot my artist a text, and I was like, "I don't know what I want yet, but I'm just gonna make the appointment now." So uh, January eighth, I'll be back. There you go, man. And everybody, a lot of people that don't have tattoos, they always like what is that meaning? And I go, I don't really know, dude. I just kind of got it in the spur of the moment. Right. I, I try and connect some kind of meaning of some sort, but there's a few that just are complete oh, yeah, spur of yeah. the moment tattoos. Oh yeah, definitely. For sure. If, if you don't, I mean, yeah, you kind of have to, especially once you get that first one. I feel like the first one for me was like the most, like I'm going to try and really put a lot of meaning on this after that. I was just like, yeah, just going to put these on my body. Well, after a certain point, you're just like, man, there's, there's no meaning to this. It's just going to be on your body. I mean, it, or, or there's a sometimes meaning to it, but in reality, I think of it more as art. You yeah. know, I, I love art. Most of my house is covered in art except for this wall. But, you know, that's what I think about tattoos. I don't think they really have to have a meaning. 
But I think that if you get a tattoo, you should at least make it look nice. Oh yeah, I totally agree. But um, that I take that back. Actually, I have a few that don't. No, really, just one. I got a dorm room tattoo like two years ago. Hell yeah, dude! By like some dude with a needle, and this is really sad. I hope my mom's not listening to this. I'm sure someone is though. But I was like encouraging this kid to like take like bong rips while like he was like tattooing my arm, and I was like, oh shit, that was a bad idea. But yeah, you know, is- you're only 19 once, so. You might as oh, well. Oh yeah, might as make well make stupid. De- might as well make dumb decisions at a really young age. Right, exactly. But now there was one thing that you did touch on that I did. I, I meant to bring up. You you love cooking. Is is that something you've loved your whole life, or? I mean, is that so new? It's coming back. I used to really enjoy cooking when I was younger, but since COVID happened, you know, everything shut down. Right. And I had so much time on my hands. I was like, you know what? let's just start making different dishes. Let's start making different stuff. And so that's all I've been doing pretty much this whole COVID period is really anything. Is there any like uh, influence that isn't like specific to you? Um, I mean, I guess throughout my whole life, my family has always been big into cooking. And then, like I said, I used to flip burgers for a restaurant back at home. Was it in and out burger? No, I wish (laughs) I, I freaking wish dude. No, it was a little small mom and pop that I used to work for. And they were That's good people, cool. and they taught me a lot of things. And then uh, my dad retired from being a cop, and he became a uh, cook. He, really? Uh, yeah, he went to culinary school, and now he works for the he works at the college as a culinary um, one of the culinary teachers. Pretty cool. That's uh, he's done it all: marine, oh, yeah. cop, culinary school chef, yeah. professor. Yeah, that's he, awesome. He, he's uh he he can't stay uh he can't stay in one place at one time. So I, I know I know that feeling. Yeah, Way but uh, he is an amazing chef. My mom's an amazing chef. My grandma, my mother's side, had a restaurant. You know, cooking has always been around, and most of my cooking is either um, all Mexican or mm-hmm. very heavy in grilling. Oh yeah, yeah, I can get with it. So you, you mentioned your Mexican and Filipino; those both tie into your cooking uh, habits. Oh yeah, I mean, I don't really cook Filipino food too much because I just don't know how to. But yeah. uh, Mexican food, man, oh, I got cookbooks in here that I, I got one cookbook that I think I've ruined the whole book just how much I've used it. And like, do you like spill shit on it and yeah. stuff the whole time? Yeah, my oh, yeah. mom, my mom's from Tucson, Arizona, which is like throwing a rock and you're in mexico and so she has brought the authentic mexican food into the house and holy crap man i could i could eat that any day of the week so if that's what you're rolling with i'll make sure to stop by and (laughs) pick up some food oh yeah well that's uh like i said i want to do something when i get out of the military or whenever wherever i retire from you know kind of working for myself i know i'll always have a boss no matter what but i would love to you know brewery tap room shoot even a food truck i think any of those would be cool to have that, uh, i've been i've been researching the food truck thing because well, I, I got hooked on that like cross-country road uh, food truck show for a mm-hmm. hot minute but oh my god they bring in a ton of money if you find oh, yeah. the right place like especially in california forget about it oh yeah i mean so my thing is out here we don't well in california they got taco trucks Right. Taco taco trucks are on every corner. It's like Starbucks. Yeah. So I came out here and there's no such thing as a taco truck. No, there's no such thing as a good taco either, really. Yeah, they got food trucks. They got like, you know, different fusions and all that. And I'm just like, dude, you can make a killing off a taco truck out here. 
just hang out in downtown Norfolk or downtown Virginia Beach. Oh, or just yeah. Hang out, hang outside the bases. Man, you'd make a killing. For real. There's so many Californians out here. Oh, yeah. There and we're like going to downtown Richmond one day and parking between like the CoStar building and the um, government building. Oh, yeah. You would make enough money to like pay your truck off for the month or whatever your bills you have going yeah, on. Yeah, that's yeah, insane. No. Well, that sounds like an ideal gig for you after yeah. uh, the uh, Navy. I love oh, it, yeah. dude. I love it. You are a man of many, many faces. You got a lot of stuff going on at all time. I fucking love it. I mean, I try to keep busy. I mean, especially right now, dude. If you don't keep busy, you're just going to be watching TV and really just getting pissed off the whole time. Yep. No, it, this it's taking a toll on me. You don't realize how much it's like affecting you mentally, physically, all of the above until like you take a step back and you're like, holy shit. I was in a much different place eight months ago. Oh, yeah. And, like those first two months were just insane for me. I think I drank like 30 beers a night for two months. Like, Hell yeah, it was, dude. It was awful. <laughs> yeah, no, like, like I said, this cooking thing for me, everybody has their own little niche, their own little like uh, quirk that gets them through stuff this definitely helps me out there's definitely worse things than cooking i love it this is this has been so much fun man i really appreciate you reaching out and coming on the show and everything before i let you go is there anything that you wanted to you know put out into the world for people to hear listen or anything along those lines i mean one thing is if you're in a community and they got lacrosse and i mean if you don't want to play but you want to help out reach out to those teams you know teams are always looking for fundraising help and stuff like that or donors, that's one of the biggest things you can do is help grow the sport, you know, push some money to them. It may yeah. 20 bucks, 20 bucks may not be a lot, but for the team, that's a huge amount of money. Yeah. 20 bucks buys a whole thing of balls. I mean, yeah. yeah, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. A lot of money that needs to be sunk into it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's truly something else, but Nick, dude, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, we'll have to keep in touch. Oh yeah, brother. Appreciate it. Of course, man. What a fun interview that was. I had an absolute blast getting on the horn with Nick. I've been fired up to have that conversation for months now. Nick actually reached out to me prior to my little hiatus I had with anybody and everybody. And he said, and this is me direct quoting him. I am a guy from the hood and I love lacrosse. And I just got so fired up by that. Um, I think that I I love any time I get to talk about culture, where you're from, you know, the people that surrounded you, the way that you were raised, the the types of things that make us who we are. And Nick is Nick is truly someone who's done so much. And he was such a fun time to talk to. So I had an absolute blast with it. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. But everyone, we are heading into the new year. Today is New Year's Eve 2020. I think it's a day that our children, if you're younger or if you're going to have older children or nieces, nephews, you know, the younger generations are going to be asking us about one day when we're sitting around a campfire or Christmas tree or wherever you, you know, do chatting with uh, the future generations in the future, something along those lines. And they're going to say, wow, what was it like as you headed from 2020 to 2021? And I will hopefully be looking back thinking, yeah, we, we made it through that really rough year, but here we are. We made it to 2021 and everything got 
slightly easier. We faced a couple less bumps in the road in 2021, and we were able to really capitalize on the tough, tough year that 2020 was and turn 2021 into the best year of our life and really maybe jumpstart the next segment of our life, the next chapter, right? Uh, I think oftentimes I relate life back to a book right? We, we go through all these chapters. It's not just one long, never-ending chapter, but there's many different phases. Um, I can personally say I've gone through probably five. I grew up a hockey player kid. I've always been kind of identified as a jock, uh, <laughs> the guy who would always choose to play sports rather than do anything else. I went through the weird little skater boy phase of my life where I wanted to go downtown and skate with my buddies. I've gone through the lacrosse player phase where I only cared about lacrosse. I'm now in the golf player phase of my life where all I care about is golf. And it's really, really cool. Alexis and I often talk about how we're we're phase people, right? We we go through these phases of things that we enjoy most. Uh, For her, it's like she sometimes gets these really serious workout routines where she works out every day really, really hard. And I love that about her because I know that she's in that part of her phase of her life. And maybe I'm currently in my not working out phase of my life, but it's totally all right. And, you know, some I think everybody has a some kind of, you know, piece of that to them, whether it's longer, shorter, you know, some people it might be a week, some people it might be months, some people it's their longevity of their life, maybe half their life. Some people are just able to identify with one thing at a time and that's how they roll. But 2021, I think, is going to be the year that we open up so many new doors and I enter that next phase, that next really, really cool thing in life that I uh, fall in love with and I get to have a good time with. Obviously, podcasting and vlogging fall under that that category, but I think that this year has taught us so many amazing, amazing life lessons that if we if we're making it through, we're we're striving and we're thriving. So I'm really excited, guys. 2021 is going to be opening up a ton, a ton of big doors for us, and we're going to have fun with it, especially with the Anybody and Everybody podcast. We're going to have a lot of really rad guests on. We're going to have a lot of insightful interviews, a lot of cool stories, and I hope that we get some of the previous guests that we had in the last year going again, because everyone that has come on this show has been an absolute beauty, absolutely amazing interview, and I absolutely love every single person who I've gotten the chance to talk with. So 2021, going to be huge for us, everybody. I know that I talked about uh, New Year's resolutions on last episode, but I think that it's really important that you make those very reasonable this year. Let's have some fun with it. I think my biggest New Year's resolution will be to read 12 books this year. That's just one a month. And uh, I think that I can do that pretty handily, but I don't want to hold myself to any higher expectation like reading 100 because that would be, well, two a week essentially. And that's that's just ridiculous. So that that's one of my fun ones. Tweet, tweet at me what you want to do have your new year's resolutions be that are totally in moderation. And I think that as long as you're living, breathing and having a good time, then 2021 is going to treat you well. So if you want to come on the anybody and everybody podcast, make sure you check out my survey monkey link. It is in the description of the show and I tweet it out all the time. And if you are really, really feeling gracious, make sure you go check out Apple podcasts and give me 
or leave anybody and everybody podcast a five-star rating and review. It really does go a long way. And I really, really appreciate the support. So this is me telling you that I hope that you have the most amazing New Year's Eve. Be safe, be healthy, have fun, stay socially distanced if you can. And I can't wait to see you guys on the other side of 2021. So stay grooving, everyone.